From the boardroom to the locker room, sport captures the imagination like little else. In this podcast, we talk to the men and women who make the big decisions and those who make the big plays to find out where sport is and, importantly, where it's going. But we do so through the only eyes that matter, those of the fan. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of Are You Not Entertained? This week, joining me for our regular goal own goal feature, the main man himself, Roger Mitchell. Hi. Hi, Grant. How are you? Uh, Happy Easter. Happy Easter. Happy Easter to you, too. Happy Easter to you, too. I um, I am am doing this as Fulham kick off against Aston Villa, Rog. So this is a big sacrifice. I know it's a big sacrifice for you. I know. Um, I, I'm 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 hoping that Fulham can rise again, given the day, and and we can uh, roll away the stone and come out into the sunlight and win seven 0 <laughs> That would be that would be wonderful. I did see Newcastle got a point at the very death there. That could be they very did. very important. Yeah, yeah, we need a win today. Now that uh, that hasn't helped us at all. But listen, no matter what, Rog, no matter what, I don't have a choice. I will support them in the Premier League or the Championship next year. So. Well, well let's, things, co- let's come it. back to that, shall we? Hold that thought for a moment. We'll come back to that later. All right, fair enough. Well, look, as as is my custom, unless I've got something I want to make sure you don't steal from me, I'm going to let you go first. What have you got for me this week in the ways of goals and own goals? Yeah, this is uh, this is our little uh, podcast about discussing what's caught our, our interest in the last little while, the in the previous four weeks. Um, I'm going to go for a strange one. It wasn't on my possible uh, selections until late in the day. Uh, I'm going to go for Jack Charlton as my goal. And wh- why has it come together to, to rise to the top of, of the potential topics? Well, um, we saw the, the Republic of Ireland actually lose a game at home to Luxembourg, uh, which is dramatic. It's dramatic. Um I also saw, maybe a lot of people didn't see this, but I, I did because John T. Hill, who's now the CEO of um, the FA of the Republic of Ireland, has been in that job for a couple of months now, maybe a wee bit more, and he's run into um, the mud around things like recognising the unions in there, trying to shake up what he's trying to shake up and finding a lot of resistance. It's, he's got a bit of bad press, uh, everything like that. And I was just reflecting what happened to uh, Irish? When I say Irish, I mean Southern Irish. What happened to Irish football from the time of Jack Charlton? And then um, somebody came into my Twitter feed with um, the documentary about Jack Charlton in in Ireland. Mm -hmm. And um, I'd always wanted to see it and I hadn't seen it. And and a couple of days ago I saw it and I just thought this, this has to be my goal. And, you know, where where do you start with all of this? Where I would like to start is what an amazing man Jack Charlton was. What an amazing leader. Um, he went in there with that attitude of his. Um, he got a, a very, very um, unimportant uh, footballing country to to three, I think, consecutive tournaments, but two where they did extremely well in 88 and 90. Uh, th- those were two tournaments that I actually attended as a fan, one in Germany 
uh, following Italy and, and one in 1990, which Italy were the host. So uh, I remember very dearly all, all the Irish fans around. And, you know... So, so wait, so, wait, so you, you weren't following Scotland at those tournaments, no? Well, they, Scotland weren't in 88. <laughs> they weren't in 88. Oh, yeah. oh yeah, of course not. Sorry, show uh, me. <laughs> um, and in 90 I was uh, I placed myself on the Liguria coast so we could uh, see the games in uh, Genoa uh, and um, to Turin the last one against Brazil but I remember that what he'd done for the Irish fans and this came out in the documentary where they were talking about how he had you know given them pride they, they had lost their inferiority complex with england how how he had reclaimed the flag from some of the distasteful stuff that the the tricolor had had represented with the ira and then there was a whole lot of little individual stories have you seen this documentary grant yes yes i have, and, yes, and, I have. was it just me or did it did it strike you the same way as well i i loved it i i, I to be honest i i was expecting it to be more about his dementia. I, I, I was expecting it to be more a, a, a critique of, you know, the heading of the football. I thought, I thought they wove that, that storyline, important as it is, into it beautifully without overpowering the story of his legacy and the, like, his achievements. It wasn't, uh, you know, kind of all about, yeah. uh, you know, the, the, the sad conditions under which he died. But but it was a celebration of his life, and I I, I thought it was magical. I really did. And, and and did you have that impression? You're an Englishman. Did you have impression about him? You know, as a World Cup winner and a relatively anonymous manager at places like uh, Middlesbrough, uh, to to see him, you know, behind the scenes like that. Is that the impression you had, or were you slightly surprised? I think uh, you know um, Johnny Vaughan, uh, who does uh, his Saturday morning radio show the kickabout on radio x yeah. in the uk which I, I i heartily recommend to anybody who loves sport. yeah it, it's it's he's he's just a broadcaster without parallel in my minds but he and his sidekick gavin woods describe jack charlton as mamp and mamp is described as someone who is all man without an ounce of camp in them he's just mamp he's just a pure <laughs> embodiment of distilled man and i think it's absolutely right right jack charlton was a man of his time, he was straightforward. You know, he was—he had the chance to work down the pits in 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 the, in the coal mines, um, and he kind of got out of there and went to play football and would get into a fight when he needed to. And yeah, you know, he was just—he was a man's man, and you could tell that the players responded to that. Now, whether that would work today, Rog, I strongly doubt. I don't think he would uh, be a successful manager in today's climate simply because the players have way too much power and they don't just simply listen and do what the manager says but i i thought it showed him in a in, in an incredibly flattering light and and look it wasn't a surprise to me to be honest it really wasn't well it, it was for me a little bit um the, the the relationship with his brother i i thought was yes that part i agree yeah you know um they clearly didn't get on clearly chalk and cheese um very very like um reluctant compliments you know through gritted teeth almost sometimes uh, and then i think up to the very end they never made up again you know um bobby never went to the funeral uh, okay yeah. you know he himself again interestingly he himself uh starting to suffer from what they call dementia and and i don't think bobby charlton headed too many balls you know so um uh, that's a different story, a different podcast. But w w what I found uh, amazing was um, the, the, 
I, I, I don't know if you're the same, but I've had in my career and in, 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 um, I've seen a leader come in, uh, one in particular, very, very clearly. Um, and I've lived that and I've lived somebody come in and changing a mood music, uh, a belief overnight. Uh, and um, uh, is rare. I've only seen it once. I've been working, you know, 30 odd, 38 years now. I've only seen it once. But um, I lived it in the first person and um, he, watching that di- documentary and seeing him coming in and, you know, all those little notes he had made and, uh, you know, how he dealt with Paul McGrath, who um, just just a, a wonderful, wonderful story. Paul McGrath, one of the great tragedies of British football, mm-hmm. well, potentially one of the very top footballers we uh, as a as a nation have ever produced, um, struck with the demons of alcohol. Um, but a just truly wonderful football player. And to see him talk um, and with that lovely Irish uh, lilt and soft-spoken um, about how he helped him, and then, you know, the, the David O'Leary story where he said straight to, straight to him at the start, look, you know, I I, I don't like my centre-halves to play football. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so, I, I like them to stop other people playing football. Yeah, yeah exactly. And, but um, I'll call you one day and you'll not let me down. And of course, O'Leary scores the penalty that takes yeah. them through against Romania in the World Cup. Um, I, I, just, I, I just thought, you know, you say that it wouldn't work these days, Grant. I still think leadership like that still exists. It maybe is a slightly different form. Um, maybe you have to do it slightly differently, but I think a big personality, it's not so much about how you do it, it's just who you are. And and I thought he was um he was amazing in that documentary. And then at the end, well, right, 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 Rog, Rog, you know, you talk about big personality yeah. is what it takes, but but look, look, look at Mourinho, right? There's a big personality, but it comes with a gigantic ego, which Jack Charlton never had. No, right? And so, so I don't think it's about the big personality. It's a really tough combination today, right? Because it's it's very hard to avoid the pitfalls of ego today when there are so many things that feed it, particularly when you're in the public. Like, like a like a manager is you know like, like like someone like Guardiola who does it quietly you know is a is a is a great manager but look at the skills and the players he has at his disposal in all the clubs now you can say the fact that he can do it in Spain and in Germany and and in the UK but look with let's face it the best team in each league um is is he a great manager in the Jack Charlton mold probably not I'm not saying it's, he's definitely not, but probably not. That 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 style that Jack Charlton had, I don't know that Pep Guardiola has that, but he's a great manager. But this this idea of just being a strong personality, I don't know that that holds water today. No. Um, it's one of these things, Grant, like I say, I've seen it once. Uh, it's difficult to describe what a leader is and, and, and how they, they can operate. But when you see it, you know it. Um it's gravitas, it's presence. Remember, you know, and don't, I don't think this has changed uh, today from when it was in the 50s and 60s. Um, a dressing room is a collection of rowdy young men, a lot mm-hmm. of them pretty, like, um, aggressive and full of testosterone. Otherwise, they wouldn't be successful. They, they, they have to believe in themselves and everything like that. The first task is to dominate that room, you know? And, and, and you know, 
you'll say to me, well, in the old days, they didn't have any power. The players, they had to uh, toe the line or they would get kicked in the reserve. That's all true. But um, I think it's a lot more than that. I'm not sure he wouldn't be successful today. Um, I, I think leadership is, is, is one of those really intangible things. And, you know, I, I saw it there and, and, and I saw maybe a little bit something similar in Martin O'Neill when he came to Celtic and turned around that immediately. And, of course, Brian Clough's another one. Done it, did it twice. Um, I don't know. I just the whole. I love the whole thing about you know, you know the north, the northern people. You know their common sense. You let lads be lads. Mm -hmm. You know. Um, I, I, I was I was very struck by that by that whole um, that whole documentary. And then sadly at the end, and this is the other thing about shelf life and football. Regardless who you are. The time is going to come when it's no longer the way it was. Jock Steen was sacked by Celtic. You know, yeah. Brian Clough, pretty much the same. Um, Jack Charlton was pretty much told that your time's up. And um, I, I, I just always reflect on that, you know, like, don't get too romantic about um, soccer, about association football, because there is a shelf life. And you need to recognise when it comes and when it's time to go. And um, I, I thought that was a beautiful documentary. I, I did. I did too. I think with international managers, that time coming, the shelf life is is much clearer. Right? If you don't qualify for a major tournament, chances are you're out. Right? And and after three, three, I think three out of four, they got to the eighty eight Euros, the ninety yeah. World Cup, and the ninety four World Cup. I think they missed out on the. Uh, yeah the 92 European championship, if I remember, I'm not hundred percent sure, but, but he then failed, they failed to qualify. And, you know, as a, as a manager of an international team, I think that's probably your time to go. Because but, they were um, always qualifying before he came. No, around, no, no, they? no, no, but you know, it's, it's once you get that, you want to maintain that momentum. I, I, <laughs> I, I kind of, I, I don't mean for Jack per se. I just mean for international associations, that's all that's your raison d'etre you've got to qualify for these tournaments and so it's it's much harder to keep a manager if he hasn't qualified for a major particularly something like ireland that were on the up and up that were qualifying regularly for these things and suddenly they fail I, I, anyway but I, the, the one thing that i was sad about not being included in docu documentary was a, a fantastic story that i heard andy townsend tell have you heard this story no i'm uh, wanting to hear it it's uh so a andy townsend is talking about um I think it was the Italy, the Italy World Cup, and uh, John Aldridge says that Jack Charlton said if they reached the quarterfinal, they'd get to meet the Pope, right? So of course they get to the the quarterfinals, and and somehow Jack makes this happen. So the Irish players get to go and have an audience with the Pope. So they're all in there and they're walking past, and the Pope's in this gym. You saw Jack talk about it a little bit in that documentary. Yeah. And apparently the Pope says, you know, he's got all the Irish teams standing in front of him. He says to them, you know, which one of you is the goalkeeper? And Packy Bonner says, you know, I'm the goalkeeper. And the Pope says, yeah, I'm going to keep, I'm going to be keeping an eye on you because when I was a young lad in Poland, I used to play in goal as well. Yeah, yeah that's right. They said, oh, yeah, this is great. So they go in, they lose 1-0, right, to Italy to go out of the out of the tournament, right? Apparently Jack comes into the changing room afterwards, says, lads, you know, I, I can't thank you enough. You've been the greatest team I've ever had the pleasure to manage you couldn't have given any more you left it all on the pitch everybody at home is so proud of you and he turns to Packy Bonner the goalkeeper and he says go on Packy go and get in the shower son 
So Packy kind of wanders off to get in the shower. Jack apparently takes a big drag of his cigarette and he says to Andy Townsend, the fucking Pope would have saved that. <laughs> which, which I thought was absolutely fantastic. You can just hear him saying a, that. Right, just, but he, apparently he said it with a big smile on his face. I just thought it's just such a wonderful story. Oh, you know, in, the, in the depths of that despair and defeat that he would, it would you know, he could just be, you know, could laugh about it and realise that it's a game at the end of the day. Well, let, let, let me let, let me just finish this off with with a, a little um, adjunct here. He applied for the English FA job. Um, he never got a reply to his letter. Yeah. Right. Just think about that. This is a guy that's got a World Cup winner. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Right. He doesn't get a reply. You know, and every so often in our various podcasts, we talk about the, what the, what's the Will Carling phrase, the, the, the boring old farts at yeah. the, the governing bodies. Well, they exist, Grant. This is proof of the existing, and I'm going to link it to another thing. You guys have got wonderful young players. When I say you guys, I mean England. It's two tournaments in a row now. You don't qualify for the under-21 tournaments. Mm -hmm. You know who your manager is? Boothroyd, yeah. Yeah. What's Boothroyd done in his career? Yeah, you're right. You're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. So, right. so how does he get there, Grant? Well, I suspect you're going to tell me because I don't know. Old Boys Act. The guy, and, and I think I do remember the name, but I'm not going to say it. The guy who hired him used to be his big mucker. They, they played together, I think, at one point. They may have been teammates. Or Boothroy was indeed his boss at one point. He goes to the English FA, um, appoints Southgate uh, to the under-21s, who then gets promoted, uh, and then to replace Southgate, uh, appoints uh, Boothroyd. Um, everybody's aghast. Uh, there's an article, I think it's way back as 2014 in The Guardian, but it's not not the only one. You know, what are we doing here? You know, um, Boothroyd's got no track record whatsoever, especially with young players. He is, um, to coin, uh, to quote uh, Ray Ranson, our old guest here, who actually, uh, as chairman of Coventry, was his uh, boss. Uh, he is a boot bollock and bite manager. And um, sadly, I can't share all the stories that Ray told me uh, over the weekend. But but let's say he's not cut out well to be dealing with young kids with immense promise that maybe haven't formed fully their personality yet. And you know, this is um, this is tragic. Let's let let let's let's put it in, the, in this context. And I'm not doing this as a, an anti-English thing. This is I'm, I've got a lot of warmth for English football. It's, it's been 50, what, 55 years since you've got to a final of any tournament. Um, not, so not even the final, not losing a final. 55 years since 1992 and the formation of the, Eng of the, the, the English Premiership, you've been by a country mile the richest footballing nation on earth. You haven't done anything without money. And then you get your governing body, the FA, appointing people who still play the game the way it was X years ago. And every so often they come out with their strategic reviews and everything like that. F football fans are fed up with the Old Boys Act. 
They're fed up. And now that they have got a more direct relationship with the team, with the players, they've got their own voice now, they're not going to put up with this anymore. There are people with no meritocratic right to be in positions. It's not just the English FA, it's all over the place. And the fact that Jack Charlton never even got a reply to his letter says it all. Yeah, no, I, I don't disagree. I mean, um, you you would think that being that, that having a manager in charge of that kind of talent at that age would be an incredibly important thing for the FA to make sure they got right. I mean, this is this is their future. This is their future chance of of getting to those finals uh, and everything that that brings with it. So I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, I I happen to know that Boothroyd's the manager. But, um, you know, it, there'll be many people that don't know that and probably with good reason, right? The FA, I'm sure, keeping that quite quiet. They're not too keen for people to find out that Boothroyd is the manager of the England under-21s. Yeah. When you've got such wonderful talent and, and like you guys should be candidates to win it or certainly semi-finalists every single time now, you've just got great academies, you've got great people coming through. <laughs> You well, I hope you're right. Be... I hope I hope you're right, and, it, and in this day and age, it does change. And the, the fact that the fans do have direct, more more direct connection with the connection with the players does help to change this. You know, that'd be great. I don't know. I don't know who you would instill as manager, but hey, if if, if England are going to contend for tournaments regularly, I'm all for it, Roger. Yeah. Anyway, so tell me, what have you well, got I'm, for I'm, me? I'm going to I'm going to stick with I'm going to I'm going to stick with football. Um, all right. For Surprise. for my first goal, and this is definitely a goal. And that is uh, Germany's defeat to North Macedonia in their World Cup qualifier this week. Uh, it's the first home defeat that Germany have suffered since 2001 when England beat them 5-1 in uh, Munich, yeah. I think it was. Ericsson, um, yeah. And, it's, yeah, it's, I know it's an old joke, but uh, as they say, thank God they weren't playing the whole of Macedonia. Who knows what the score could have been. <laughs> but, um, but, you know, to, to, see, to see the Germans get beaten, 2-1 by North Macedonia was, and apologies to any Germans listening, but God knows you've won this damn thing well enough. You can let us have a little bit of shade and Freud, surely you invented the word. But uh, I don't know if you saw the highlights, Rog. I didn't. Um, I did not. The, the Germans had 70% of the possession. They hit the bar, the keeper made a few saves. You know, it's the normal story on one of these games, except for about three or four minutes before the North Macedonians scored their second goal, uh, Timo Werner missed an absolute sitter. I mean, it's just, no matter how, every time you watch the replay, you think he's going to score. It was that ridiculously easy. I, I did see that. Um, I did see that because that came on the timeline. That was a meme. Remember coming back to memes? That was a I didn't, meme. I didn't see the meme. I, I just, I just, yeah. just seen the highlights. So I, I, look, I, I, look, we all know it's a total aberration, but there will be plenty of European soccer fans, not just Englishmen, reveling in the fact that the mighty Germans have lost at home to North Macedonia. Now, I know it won't last and they'll probably win the next World Cup, but uh, the Germans have to give us this. They have to let us enjoy this because it's so rare for them to lose a game like this. But uh, I, thought, I thought that was just truly a remarkable result. Yeah, like I say, there was also the Luxembourg one that I mentioned earlier. It's an yep. interesting week. Yep. A couple of things I'd like to tag on to that. One about Timo Werner. Um, <laughs> my son and I have got this bet going on now. Um, it's all related to fantasy because, as I keep saying, fantasy is such a big part of our fandom just now. And, uh, you know, I keep saying, you don't know, son, you don't know. Uh, Paolo Rossi, before all those goals, was being slaughtered the way that Timo Werner is. I am going to tell you right now that Timo Werner, between now and the end of the season, is going to get seven goals. 
and every time these memes come up, he just slams it, <laughs> slams it down my throat. <laughs> and of course, it's, it, you, you won't know, but the, 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 there's a lot of these things here that, you know, any situation where somebody does pretty well, gets to the last stage of something and it just collapses at the end, it's now got a Timo Werner <laughs> meme thing label on the top. So he's... Um, he really has become a character, but that was a that was a dreadful miss. But I do believe that once this guy gets one goal, he'll get ten really quickly. That's that's what I. But, but you know that old phrase in the markets, you know, being early is the same as being wrong. You know. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. Exactly. So 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 he's not in our team because <laughs> I don't have the strength to like of my convictions there. But I'd like to say another thing here about what you said about Germany. Um, I don't think the Germans will be that bothered because they're a little bit like um, other countries that these are all just like kind of warm-up games. You know, they're, they're not really important. They're not relevant. Um, and, you know, they'll be there when, when they need to be there. Uh, whereas other nations, and I'm thinking of my own particularly, they'll get one game or, or even one half of a game that gets them a draw at some point and all of a sudden they're world beaters and everything like that. Um, I think German football is is just extraordinary uh, for 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 everything they're doing and and have done and when when they're in a tournament they're always the team that you've got to say they're going to be really tough. Keep an eye out though, and the, and the Europeans come. The Euros coming up now on Italy um, after dreadful what well, over a decade since two thousand and six World Cup. They've just been dreadful. Uh, they, they missed qualification for the last World Cup and and the one before that they get knocked out in the group stages there. Um, they, they, you, they've had a dreadful time of it. They appoint Roberto Mancini. They've not really seemed to have a great squad of raw material in this generation. And between the Euro qualifications and now the start of the World Cup, he hasn't lost a game, I don't think. And they're just not conceding goals. And, you know, I would just keep a wee eye out of them, out for them, because I, I, I think they're back. And, you know, if anybody's listening and they like those kind of little odds... Slam ten pounds on on, on on Italy uh, to win, because teams that don't concede goals usually go a long, long way. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 exactly the same as England, but without the non-conceding goals. England are dynamite in qualifying matches, but Italy know how to win when they get to a tournament. That's that's the difference, right? There's that mindset that the Italians have when they actually get to the final stages, as the Germans have. Yeah, 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 exactly. That will be interesting to see what happens. But well, and of we'll course, see. they're coming up soon. And, you know, I'm not clear where the games are getting played, whether there's fans in the stadia. Yeah, I don't even know that yet. Who, who knows? Well, well, I guess we'll just let everything else in this last year. We'll just see how it unfolds. Just just uh, a word of advice. Uh, no betting tips you hear on the show should be considered as investment advice. <laughs> Roger Mitchell's <laughs> tips have a habit of falling flat on their face. Um, well, what else you got for me, Rog? Well, I'm going to remember we said, let's park that, that film thing about fandom. Um, this this is my own goal this week, and I, I don't know whether it's the right label or not. Um, uh, it, it, it kicks off with the the death of Claude. You know the the guy from um, Arsenal uh, Arsenal Fan TV uh, that that died this week. You may not know this. Uh, Arsenal Fan TV would be the kind of like the the main case study of 
uh, user-generated content, you know, non-official content that becomes important, gives fans a voice. Uh, huge success story, Ars Arsenal Fan TV. And of course, their main thing was uh, they would be at the ground and when Arsenal, mainly in recent years, having a tough time, they would interview fans coming out of the ground. Claude was one of these um, and he became he became quite famous and uh, there, there's a different take on this depending who you speak to. Our mate Colin O'Donnell uh, has always kind of like warned about this area. Um, he believes that guys like Claude, and, and, and by the way, the reason I'm speaking about this is that this is becoming a trend. He's the second one in Arsenal TV um, to have died, let's say before their time. Some people say that... Uh, I don't know, there's another one called Heavy D who um, became famous. He actually then went on to, I think, to be Big Brother celebrity. Um, and, and, and Colin's view is that neither of these guys, uh, in terms of personality and mental strength, could cope with the fame. Uh, and both of them died in rather unfortunate circumstances that are unclear. Um, Claude, uh, and, and this is the thing, this is the thing I, I want to talk about a little bit. Claude, Claude um, became famous. He was the guy they went to after the ground, as usual, became very vociferous. Uh, people like that. It becomes funny, you know, like you know, when you see mm -hmm. the fan getting yep. really yep. enraged, it's funny. Um, and, and of course, when a fan is like that, and I'm as guilty as the next person, you're going to make a mistake at one point, you know? You're, you're going to make a little joke that in today's world is not accepted. And he made a joke about Son, the, the Tottenham player, mm -hmm. and he got sacked for it. Uh, and I think there was a spiral after that, which ended, um, I think he died this week, or if not the, the week before. Um, and and I, I just, this whole area is one that I kind of bounce backwards and forwards on. You know that I believe that in terms of a business, that this is the way we need to go. This is what works. This is the content that works. You know, let the fans speak and everything like that. Um, but at the same time, Grant, um, I know fans what they are. I know their enormous limitations. Um, and I don't know where particularly I stand on this. So I'm going to give that as the premise and ask you, to explain to me, not just, you know, your view on this type of content, but what it means to be a fan now and what it means to be a fan of a team like Fulham. No, I, I, it's a difficult question because there isn't a single answer to it, Rog, right? I think, I think the problem with social media is it, it, it doesn't tend to necessarily highlight and showcase fans per se it highlights and showcases personalities right yeah um and a lot of this stuff on the arsenal team you know this this I, I i i i'm not i'm not familiar with claude i don't know which which one of the guys is. i've seen plenty of clips of arsenal tv and there's always the guy i think on your lot and barstool sports they have the guy on the in america uh, and yeah a, and they have a camera on him every time yeah and it's so fake it, it's almost laughable as to how fake his anger and upset about everything that's happening on the screen is and everyone's chuckling away because he's screaming at the tv and go but it's so fake it, it, it's to me it's just laughable and and i think that because of the nature of social media nobody wants a fan who appreciates the team is knowledgeable about the team they want a personality they want someone who's going to throw his toys out the pram when they lose and go crazy when they win it's just all about that and so you 
you see these these this fan content trying to up the ante on that side of things every single time. You know, the 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 anger and the despair has to get greater, and the joy and the exuberance has to get greater. And you know, I you know how distasteful I find it, or you know how how little it engages me. Um, so I, so I'm probably the last person to ask well, about this. Okay, but let me ask you. Forget Arsenal fan TV for a moment. Let me let me ask you this question with a little bit more context. The Athletic, that wonderful publication. Um, surveyed their subscribers this week to ask them uh, uh, various questions around English football. Uh, Here's the first question. Happiness with club's performance this season and every club has got a rating out of 100. Where do you think uh, yours is? Uh, What number would you give Fulham? Yeah, It's interesting, isn't it? Actually, it's a really good question because for me, it would be quite high, even though they're where they are. They've played good football. They've, you know, I, I, for me, I would think they'd be. I mean, I don't know how how the scale is. Where, where are a hundred's great? A hundred's great. Yeah. So for me, I would put them at above fifty, maybe sixty. Right now, this is going to go one of two ways. They're either going to be fifteen or they're going to be seventy. They're exactly seventy, seventy-one. Yeah. yeah. See that? that see that, that? But that doesn't surprise me. But I. But I think. I think. This comes back to the fact that if you're a Fulham fan, you're not used to challenging for the title. You're not used to winning. Well, that's cups. just why I'm asking what, you a question yeah, about yeah. what it means to be a fan of Fulham. Yeah, you know? no, exactly right. For me, as I said to you earlier on, right, I'm, I'm going to support them in the Championship. I'm going to support them in the Premier League. It doesn't really matter to me. But I think all you want, and I had this conversation with a, with a buddy of mine. I would rather watch. For example, Leeds, right? Play exciting football. Do you want Leeds to play exciting football and get beat 4-3 every week? Or would you rather they get a load of draws and win the occasional scrappy goal, what scrappy game 1-0? For me, I would much rather watch them play good football, be entertained every time I go and watch them play, win games, lose games, but always be entertained and, and stimulated by it, than grind out results. You and see, I, and this I is think, why... That's why I think you're atypical, Grant. Let, I'll ask you the question for Leeds. What do you think? What number do you think they got? Uh, again, I, I think the nature of a general Leeds fan is different to that of a Fulham fan. Leeds fans have a history of of winning things. They've had, they've they have that culture of being Leeds, right? So I would think their theirs would be much lower, thirty. No, it's actually fifty-five, but yes, okay. lower than yours. All right. Let me ask you another one because there's more than one question here. This is a great little article. Happy if the team's manager is in charge this time next year. What's your number for Fulham? High, eighty. Eighty-seven. Yeah. Who who do you think is the the highest club on this this question here? I.e., the fans are super happy with their manager. Liverpool. No, nope. close. Very close, actually. Oh, Everton. Yes, well done. Anc- Ancelotti was it? Okay. <laughs> yeah. Right. And who's bottom? Who are the bottom three? Uh, the bottom three, I, I, I probably maybe Arsenal, maybe Man United. Uh, anywhere Arsenal's actually ta- quite high. Surprisingly, okay. they're quite okay. happy. Well, no, um, okay, but that's that's interesting, Ross, because I think of the big clubs, Arsenal fans are the most like Fulham fans, where they like the style of you, football and they and, and they look at Arteta and think, here's someone, give him time, he'll he'll take us back to playing the way Arsenal like to play. But put that aside, so I would think maybe Solskjaer, anywhere that Sam Allardyce is managing. Yeah, West, um, Tom, West, West Brom at the bottom, bottom three, yeah. yeah. 
Yeah. Tottenham, yeah. Bo- uh, second bottom. Yeah, Spurs and, will be and, and, and Steve Bruce's bottom. Let me ask yeah, you the next okay, question. Think think your team has a chance of winning a trophy by end of next season. Do, does a wooden spoon count? <laughs> no. Okay. What, well, where Fulham are? No, th- they're asking the fans of each team, how, pr- how probable do you think your team has a chance of winning a trophy at the end of next season? Next yeah. season. Okay, and what, what are you asking me? Where do you what, think what Fulham fu- is? Oh, low. 5%. Yeah. No, 30, 31. Which, which trophy? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, maybe do, do they the still champion, play the maybe Milk the Cup? Championship, maybe the Championship. Maybe play, the, oh, yeah, maybe. Yeah, maybe Sverry. Oh, beginning in the next season. My apologies. Yeah, okay. Fair enough. And of course, at the top, you've got the usual suspects. Newcastle doing dreadfully again. And this is the last one. I believe their club is well run. Who do you think's top of that? I believe their club is well run. Yeah. That's a good question. Uh, who would be top of that one? Hmm. I would think I would think Liverpool would be high up there. I would think uh, right now I would think Liverpool fans would mm, think that they are sixth. Uh, Leicester, uh, maybe Leicester is first, believe it or not. Actually, no, that makes sense. That makes sense. Leeds is second. That's interesting, isn't it? It's yeah, much yeah. higher than than, yeah. than uh, Brighton is fourth, which I find really surprising. And um, this is really interesting. Uh, West Ham is uh, third from would, bottom. You know I was, I would no, but I was going to say that because I, I, I can't remember if we talked about this in the, in the show, but you know, you look at West Ham and the fact that they've done so well this season with no fans there, I think is very, very telling. Very, very telling. West Ham fans are a tough, tough audience to play for, and having the pressure that the West Ham fans bring to that team, taken off your back. I actually think is a is a huge factor in how well they're playing this year. Huge factor. So it doesn't surprise me that West Ham fans hate the owners, you know, hate gold and hate yeah. all that stuff, right? And they don't like Moyes. They never wanted Moyes as the manager, blah, blah, yeah. blah. And I think if the fans had been in the London Stadium, uh, I think West Ham would be nowhere near where they're on the league right now. I'm not sure I agree, but it's an interesting point. Very interesting. Uh, a, lot, a lot of people said the same about Celtic up, up in Scotland, but it's not really true. They were just rubbish. Um, but anyway, <laughs> this, this, this is a wonderful article um, that, you know, if you look at all the questions, a lot more, we don't have time for them, but your boys um, score high almost consistently. And, you know, um, I'm linking it to a little bit. It's the, another wee article that I saw that said that half of Fulham fans would would actually be very annoyed if Fulham took on a betting sponsor. So yeah. um, is Fulham and football Fulham fans a bit soft, Grant? It's a great question. You know, I think, Rog, I think when you, I think when you've you've existed almost been out of business many times, you know, been bought and sold, been close to extinction, you know, before the Jimmy Hill era back in, you know, in, in my lifetime, you're not used to winning trophies. You don't expect to win trophies. Um, you have the benefit of, you know, 2010, that Europa League final was magnificent, right? What, what, a, what an incredible run for that team to go on. You know, the, the defeat of Juventus in the semifinal was absolutely epic as as yeah. a Fulham fan right and going to that game 
taking my dad and my brother to that game in Hamburg, spending a day in Hamburg, in the town square with all the Atletico fans drinking and singing. It was it was a magical day. And to be able to share that with my dad and my brother was was truly, truly magical. And it was nothing I ever thought I'd experience as a Fulham fan. A European final, I mean, don't be ridiculous, right? Yeah. So so to to have that day, spend that day in town, just soaking it all in. And of course it's Fulham. There was no trouble. It was just it was both sets of fans just having a fantastic time enjoying the experience. As we went to get on the coach to take us to the stadium, they laid on buses for the fans. I'm walking down there with my dad. And I remember saying to him, Dad, you do realize there's only two ways for this to end, right? We're either getting beaten six nothing, or we're gonna lose either on penalties or to a last minute heartbreak. Right? <laughs> we, we, we both know this going into this, this is all about the experience. And my dad, God bless him, who has been a Fulham fan for, you know, 75 years and and was a Fulham fan in the days of Johnny Haynes and Bedford Jezzard when they when they were yeah. you know, a, a high-paced team. You could see it hadn't extinguished from his eyes. He still kind of thought, you know what? Maybe. And of course, we go to the game. Uh, we're in the stadium. And once you're in there, it, the enjoyment of the day is gone. You're in a game of football and, you, and you, you're living and dying every every piece of the match right and of course what happens we lose in the 118th minute yeah. of extra time to a Diego Forlan goal right yeah and it's it's heartbreaking you know to, when that goal goes in it's heartbreaking and you see it the players are, but I kid you not before we, we we sort of queued up to get out of the stadium before we'd even left that stadium I was over it I was I was I was just back in the moment of having had a fantastic day out with my dad and my brother I never expect us to win. It would have been unbelievable to win. It would have been, you know, the, the greatest day of my Fulham supporting life, right? Well, to that point, all I'd known was getting beat 2-0 by West Ham in the in the FA Cup final in 1975. And Alan Taylor was definitely offside, but we'll come back to that later on. <laughs> um, but, but I was back in the moment, Rog. And, and, you know, Colin O'Donnell, another name check for Colin, I remember him saying to me when, when he knew I was going to that game, he said, I'm so jealous of you because I I can't remember what it's like to go to a final when I wasn't expecting, as an Arsenal fan, to, to be challenging for trophies every year. And he said, yeah, the FA Cup finals become almost boring because we're in it so often. I no, I, I'm sure you don't. I, I don't. I don't get that. I'm sure you don't. But but the, I guarantee you, the the thrill I had of that run to the final, the, the late nights watching the no, Juventus I he, game. I hear you. Of and, course and, that's and great. The enjoyment of the moment, I guarantee you that meant more to me than any trophy Celtic have won for you in the last nine years. I guarantee you. I'm sure that's right, because our trophies in the last nine years have been like um, right. be beating a cripple in the 100-meter hundred race. Right, so, uh, so, so what does that say about being a fan? Right, being a fan. Well, well he, he, you said something here that I, I think is important. You said it, it was over. So um, one could argue that that, that that beautiful experience that you've articulated is a little bit like going to see um, Eric Eric Clapton at the Royal Albert Hall uh, with your dad and your brothers, and 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 you know, it's and the moment's gone. You know, um, I come back to my point here. If all Fulham fans are like you it explains those results in the survey because it's a lifestyle thing for you. You know, it's... it's no, it's, it's, uh, no, I don't think so, Rog. I don't think so. But, but look, I, I, I know that I don't... I don't... 
I don't, I, it's not as emotional for me as it is for you, but how much of that is because you've grown up in a team that constantly won? And of course, the, 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 the kind of the fact that when you didn't win, it was generally your arch rivals who won. And so the joy and the pain were magnified massively. You know, if, if, if you didn't win the title, it wasn't just that you lost, it was that the Blues won it, right? Of any, anybody else but them. So the pain was magnified. The joy was magnified because you beat Rangers every year. And so I, I, I just, I, I don't, I know the point you're trying to make, but I don't agree with it. Yeah, um, I, I think Celtic's different because, you know, I know everybody thinks Celtic and Rangers, but, you know, when, when I was growing up with Celtic, they, they were one of the top three teams in Europe. Yeah, it wasn't a you, you have that thing. pedigree. Fulham never had that. Fulham were never that team. But now that they don't have it, Grant, I'm not interested in, in nine in a row in the domestic league where the, the, the standard's very low. I take zero joy out of beating Rangers, apart from the fact that I like that they don't win. Sorry, I you, mean, no joy. you mean the new Rangers? Yes, 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 the new Rangers. And congratulations <laughs> on their first ever title. That's great for a new club. That's wonderful. <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like, I, 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 I really struggle with fandom now because I see the younger ones look at it differently. I see somebody like you um, that looks at it in, in one way. I see the way that I look at it, that um, if my team is not, you know, uh, prime, prime steak, uh, I, I, I don't want to go to the restaurant. Uh, and I, I just every I don't have the answer to this, but I just find it utterly compelling the definition of fandom in two thousand and twenty-one. Yeah. Oh, I, I, it's fascinating, but but I, as I say, I think to be a Fulham fan is to be a fan of the club. It and, and being a fan, you are either overjoyed or disappointed and crushed, depending on your expectation level. Right. If you're Man United, you expect to be challenging for the title every year. And when City win it, you're crushed. And if Chelsea win it, you're crushed. And if Arsenal win it, you're crushed. And if you don't compete, you're crushed because you expect it. Right. Okay, but let, let me ask you this. I, I, I don't want to labour this a little bit. So you, you've not got any expectations. So let's say you're in the Premiership, you're mid-table, uh, you're playing Crystal Palace, nothing at stake. You, you go along. What, what's pushing your buttons there? You know, like, uh, you're uh, not if, seeing if I, great players. You're not seeing, you know, the great players. It's not a I'll, nothing I'll game. You. No, I'll, tell, I'll tell you what's pushing my buttons. If we beat Crystal Palace, it means I will give a load of flack to my mate Billy Bars, who's a Palace fan. I'll so give him a load rivalry. of flack. It's the rivalry. You, yeah. Which is yeah, fine. It's no, fine. No, which is fine. But but if we, but it also, if we beat Arsenal, not only will I give it to Colin or my other Arsenal mates, it means something because we don't beat Arsenal that often, right? So it, you actually... You get something more out of results that you might go, yeah, or well, you beat Arsenal. You know, I, I remember the times we've beaten Man United at Old Trafford, right? I remember like that game we beat Liverpool the other week. That that meant something, and not just in the context of a relegation battle, but it was, I think, the second time they've beaten Liverpool at Anfield in my entire life. And if if you're a fan, that has to mean something to you, right? It can't just be right. about we didn't win the league. It's that. That's the first time we've beaten Liverpool in 30 years at Anfield. That has to mean something, surely, to a fan of a club. I, I just I just find that not satisfying. You know, the, the, the big guy can always say, you look, you know, every dog has got his day. You're still a dog. 
You know, it's it's a little bit like coming. So back why does to, anyone bother following Fulham? Why I don't does know. anyone? I, I don't. I don't know. I, 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 that's what I'm getting to. <laughs> I don't know. And 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 the and the, the reason that I think I, I keep pressing this mostly it's an internal uh, reflection is that I think teenagers today are going to ask themselves that question and they're going to come up with one answer. There is none. And well, they that, feel that, that, that we've had this conversation that scares before. Me. But, and, but, yeah, but, and, but they follow yeah. players, right? But uh, if if you'd have been if you'd have been born in Airdrie, yeah, you think you'd have been a Celtic fan? No, they're, they're Rangers. That's a Rangers town. Well, well, you'd have been a Rangers fan, or you'd have been an Airdrieonians uh, fan. Rangers. You would have been a Rangers Scotland, fan. Scotland's different. It's not a good example. You know the, the Catholic Protestant thing. You, you, the okay, all right, that's, all right. That's fair it's, enough. That's a fair bad enough. example. But all right, so but but for me, I'm a Fulham fan because my dad was a Fulham fan, and my dad was a Fulham fan because he was born and bred in Fulham, right? He 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 could have been a Chelsea fan, he could have been an Arsenal fan, he was a fan of his local club, and and he instilled that in me, and you know I'm I'm a Fulham fan, and and that that's just that's your club, you know what that's like, that's your club, and you follow them and you support them, and it doesn't matter. If they win or lose, I'm not going to, because they get relegated, what am I going to do? Go and support Palace? No, no, I get that. I get that. No, no, I get you can't switch, but it's the disengagement that, that scares me. I, I think that the, the way that you talk about it and, you know, the generation where everybody was a little bit more equal and everything like that, and you had your up years and your bad years and an Everton would be top dog for a little while. Now that hierarchy, let's call it this way, the football social mobility has been reduced enormously in the last 20 years. That There are, there are moats and... and, and and, and barriers to, to, to that, that mobility that, that, that weren't there before. So I get it for your generation, but I am suggesting, and I fear I'm right, that ours is going to be the last generation that cares about that. I, I, I'm not going to dispute that with you. And I think you hit the nail on the head a couple of years ago in this conversation where you talked about the young fans have allegiance to players, not clubs. And of course, this the the culture of celebrity. That's exactly where it's going, right? It's exactly where it's going. They follow this guy on Instagram. They don't follow the team. They follow the guy. And I, I don't dispute that you could be absolutely right. My, mine may or ours may be the last generation that that think that way. It's, it's perfectly possible. I hope not. I hope but it's not as well. Possible. But you know, the the, the when I. Everybody hears me say this, and they think, "Oh, look at that! He loves this." I, I, I don't have a judgment about what, what, when I say what I think is going to happen. You know, um, in a lot of ways, I would prefer the football I grew up with, where a Panathinaikos uh, or a Benfica uh, <laughs> were, 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 were serious teams, and, and and not the way they are now. So I'm the first one to regret this. Uh, but you know, you look at the, the, you just look at everywhere you turn. You know, the the, the Champions League, uh, the clubs now saying they're not going to do a deal with UEFA unless they get full control commercially. Well, if this is the red line, that if that if that goes, then then UEFA's done. Uh, then you look at the NFL and they come up with the what is it, the seventeenth game now, Grant? You know, um, big money involved there. Um, your your definition of fandom and however you articulate it there, and I think you did it well. I don't think there's a lot of space for that anymore. And a lot of people are screaming and wailing and they're right to scream and wail. But I'd like to say that that train left the station 
about 1998. And the thing is, in an English football, you haven't noticed because the Premiership has been so great. Uh, every team, including yours, was getting 100 million in TV money and you didn't look beyond, and now uh, it's at your doorstep and you've got your clubs owned by big American people who are saying, we want the Super League. And, you know, the whole thing ties in a little bit from Claude to Fulham to, to everything. Um, I just find myself thinking about it a lot, mate. Yeah, I, I, I don't disagree with you. Actually, this ties into my next goal, Rog, funny enough. We can, we can, okay. we can take, take this and, and apply this to it. Because my next goal is the um, NCAA Final Four, which I watched yesterday. Uh, look, it, March Madness is wonderful for me. Potentially the greatest sporting festival every year because every single year it delivers upsets, drama, a, an extraordinary level of talent. It does. It's it's, 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 it's it remarkable. Does. And and you know when I when I lived and worked in New York, um, it was my favorite month of the year. Because everybody in that on that trading floor had an alma mater and had a vested interest in in these games, and it was the you know, it was the only time in the year that the TVs on the trading floor would switch from CNBC, and it was the only thing that would stop <laughs> things happening. When these games got close in the early rounds, everything would stop, and people would be watching these games. It was it was fantastic, but to watch you know the two games yesterday, Baylor against Houston. Um, a blowout for Baylor and a poor game, you know, and it's kind of disappointing. And there's something about not having the fans there. You know, they kept going back when they, when they got to the, the second of the two semifinals, um, UCLA, a number 11 seed against Gonzaga, number one seed yeah. who were unbeaten this season. Um, UCLA, UCLA with just incredible history. Um, yeah, you, know, you want absolutely. to talk about lineage. UCLA is, is, the beginning and end of that conversation is mainly for the coach John Wooden, you know, the, the, yeah, who who was just an absolute legend. But um, but that game, uh, they they a lot of the packages on the TV coverage were talking about other seasons where previously unbeaten teams had gone into the NCAA's looking to complete an unbeaten season, and there were you know half a dozen upsets over the years of of heavily favoured teams who fell at that hurdle, whether it be in the championship game or the semi final. And and to watch those upsets, several of which I watched actually happen, but to see the fans in the background, it yeah. made you realize, A, how important it is to have the fans there, particularly at the Final Four. Um, but this, this, this game was such an unbelievable advert for, for the sport, for the athletes, for the coaches, for the NCAA it was remarkable. The game had everything. The, the level of talent on display, the quality of play was extraordinary. And then the ending, which yeah. as you get with the NCAAs, you, you can't write these things. To see yeah. that ending, to see Suggs hit that shot from you know halfway from half court to the three-point line, bank it in with, with the red light around the backboard illuminated as the ball's in the air. You can't write this stuff. It was yeah. absolutely phenomenal. And and you talk about, here's where I want to wrap it into the last part of the conversation we had. Look at UCLA, right? Here's a storied franchise that hasn't been anywhere near winning the championship for a generation, really. I mean, they had, they had I guess they had, a, they had a time back in, I guess, the 90s when Don McLean was there. But they, they so they've, they've been close maybe once, but they're a storied franchise that, that won so many titles. 
And yet the fans, they have a connection to the university. The UCLA fans went to school there, right? They, they have that connection. This is their school. This is their team. No matter what, every year they're going to come out and cheer for UCLA. It doesn't matter if they get into the tournament. It doesn't matter if they don't. If they're just in tournament play and in, in, you know, in the leagues, in the conference, it doesn't matter. That, that connection as a fan is to the school. And that's one of the big things that I found so wonderful about American college sports is that the yeah. fans have a genuine connection. It's not that they were born near there or that they went to that school, right? They've, they've walked in those halls. They've been a part of that tradition, a part of that program. It, it's just fantastic. And, yeah. and to say, to watch that game last night, I hadn't thought of it in the terms of what it means to be a fan, but I think that's just another beautiful part of that tournament is that it allows people to celebrate something they have a real connection to. Yeah. Um, let's, let's aside for a second, um, everything we've talked about in the past about NCAA and the risks of um, the model of not having paid the players and now people at overtime coming in and taking those players. Let's leave that aside for a second. Um, I've always marveled above everything else at, at college sport in America. I haven't had the same exposure you have, but I've had a wee bit, especially in, in California uh, with um, with UCLA and uh, the other, uh, what is it, USC, uh, University of South California, yeah. And what I, what I always like, uh, Grant, is that you go to university as a kid and you're at that stage where you're growing as a person, you're trying to work out your personality, your maturity, your relationship with others, colleagues, uh, the opposite sex, everything like that. It's, it's quite, a, it's quite a, a volatile time, an important time, and we all know that. Um, but imagine you go there uh, as an 18-year-old and you're playing for one of these teams and you've got that adulation and your product is on you know, national TV and you know, the, the stadium's full 90,000 and, you know, how the hell do these kids deal with that? How does that guy that made that shot ever deal with the the rest of his life that probably is not going to have that same high? Look, I, 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 think, I think this particular guy will. I think Suggs is a, is a proper talent. I think he'll I think he's got everything he needs to be a, a good pro basketball player. So I think he'll be up. But I, I take your point. There will be plenty of others who have hit that game-winning shot. And it was a fluke. It was you know, a, a Hail Mary from nowhere that happened to go in. And you're right. How, how do you recreate that buzz as a young, as a young man? I, I don't know. But it, you know, again, and this is, we, we've talked a lot on the show about the, the Drive to Survive series, the All or Nothing series. There's a series on uh, on. Netflix called Last Chance You. I don't know if you've seen that as well. Yeah, yeah, that was um, the thing that we I referenced when we were talking about Rex. Right. That's what I thought they were trying to do. Yeah, uh, but but you watch that and you realise that it, it does a great job of of showing you what it is like to be either a talented player on a on a on a poor team or a a talented player who's a poor student. Um, and you know, a lot of that then comes down to the coaches, right? The the coaches are the guys who if they're good, can help these young men handle both the success and the failure. Um, and, and so I, you know, I've loved watching those. There's a, there's a new season of Last Chance You, uh, the first basketball one, the first ones were, were all um, football, college football. And they've, they've just done a season of 
uh, East Los Angeles College uh, last year, which which I highly recommend. You know, the, the the season, this team going undefeated, and there's all kinds of stories. One of these guys, Joe Hampton, who was you know Division One, he played at uh, I think uh, UPenn and blew out his knee and you know had problems and managed to come back with this team and was looking to try and get a place back in a Division One college. You know, kids who had nothing that were relying on talent to try and make a living and make a career for themselves and to watch these kids struggle and watch the job the coach did and the coach isn't always perfect but you know at the end of the season you see the emotion there about how this guy's trying to help them and the fact they appreciate it and to see that season upended by covid and to watch it happen you know it, it's it's a remarkable thing to be a fly on the wall for something like that and i think your point is absolutely right but so much of it comes down to the coaches and how they prepare these young men for for real life many of them they know are not going to be playing basketball for their for the rest of their lives yeah i think it's a phenomenon the uh, college sport in america there's nothing like it uh, that, that does that that what i said it's just it's it's out of order of 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 how it should be you get so much attention and fame and importance and, and pressure at an age where you're just struggling with the, the normal things in life uh, and for that reason i find it fascinating it's not a criticism i've always just thought it's the most amazing i went to stanford uh, i went for an interview there uh, for their mba and um you know you drive past the stadium and it's like a fucking it's yeah. like the maracana and, and and like i say like how many come to this oh that's filled out that's packed every every yeah. second week what you know and and you, you just get your head around that um Amazing. Listen, I've got something I just want to very quickly um, f- finish with because I know I like Go to put on, you in a good mood. Go on, shoehorn it in. Yeah, no, it's like put you in a good mood. Uh, remember we talked about um, Endeavor, WME, IMG, whatever they're called these days, uh, trying yeah. to do an IPO earlier in the year and it was pulled? Yeah. Um, looks like they're going to get it away this time. There is, of course, an amazing differentiator this time, completely different from what it was the last time. They've put Elon Musk on the board. <laughs> Oh, Rog, why, why'd you do that to me? Why you want to do just, that to me and ruin my Easter Sunday? Jeez. It's it's the it's the world in 2021, mate. That's all that matters. It's oh, all that matters. Christ almighty. Really? Well, thanks well, for that, Rog. Th- see, the thing is, and, and, and this, this is a serious point, there's a lot of people I know um, that I think are very smart, uh, very well-read, um, good, good, well-balanced thinkers, who believe that he is what his PR is. And, and like, I've given up saying what I think, but, you know, it works. You know, like, this is uh, this is IMG putting Musk on the board and getting their IPO away. Yeah, I don't, I don't know what to say about that. I really don't know what to say about that. I'd, I'd love to hear the arguments for what Musk brings to the table within that context, um, apart from a, a band of flying monkey fans that will follow him anywhere and do anything and, probably buy the shares i'd love that's to know enough. that's yeah enough. no no of course I, I, but but obviously they won't be able to say that so i'd love to know what their 
what the PR is saying as to why they've put him on that ball, what he brings to that table. Oh, yeah, it'll be something along the lines of, you know, as the world moves into the metaverse and NFTs continue to grow and we talk about uh, Bitcoin and Ethereum being used by sports franchises. But no, but he's nothing to do with any of that stuff. Doesn't matter. He's the brand guy of future and, and, you know, he sees the future. So as sport is moving to all these new futuristic things, you just put that brand on it and nobody else can do it as well as him. Maybe Mark Cuban, but he's probably conflicted. So just go for just go for Musk. Well, look, all I can hope is that they send him off to set up the franchise on Mars. That would be that would be a suitable end to the send him up there and go for your life. Go for your life. What's all the, right, Roger. What, well, thanks for that, mate. You've ruined my. No, how's if, Fulham if, doing? When we finish this, I'm going to have to check what how Fulham are doing. If Fulham are losing to Villa right now, my Easter will be officially ruined. Well, hang on. Let me just tell you because I'm I, we I, we've got Aston Villa defenders. I didn't want to tell you that, oh. so I don't want I don't want you to win, uh, and it's still nothing each. So um, that's good. We, 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 a clean sheet no, no, is on its way. Good. It's not good. It's not good, Roger. <laughs> oh, no, we need actually, to win. We've actually got Lookman as well. Oh yeah, we we are looking for Lookman to do something here. That's uh, that's how I enjoy the Premiership. It's all about the fantasy. Oh, Jesus. All right. Well, Best of luck with that win. I hope you stay up. I'd really do. Well. You and 87% of the Fulham fans, by the sound of things. <laughs> anyway, that's all we have time for. Yes, Folks, yes. thank you very much for listening to us rabbit on again. Um, we hope you've enjoyed it. Uh, do follow us on Twitter if you're not doing so already. You'll find us at Entertained R. That's the word, A-R-E. You'll find me on Twitter at T-T-M-Y-G-H. And you'll find myself at RPM Como, as in the lake. As in the lake. Rog, happy Easter, my friend. Go eat some chocolate. I will do. You too, Grant. Take care.